Good evening and welcome back to The Obelisk. Tonight's guest is Brad Olson. Brad is the author of 10 books, including three in his Esoteric series, Modern Esoteric, Future Esoteric, and the newly released Beyond Esoteric. An award-winning author, book publisher, and event producer, his keynote presentations and interviews have enlightened audiences at Contact in the Desert, UFO Mega Conferences, the 5D events, and dozens of radio and television shows. Brad is a founder, is a founder and co-producer of the How Weird Street Fair in the Soma neighborhood of San Francisco. The Chicago native's esoteric writing continues to reach a wide audience while he continues breaking ground in alternative journalism, public speaking, illustration, and photography. Brad, welcome to the Obelisk. Welcome aboard, Brad. Hey, Jerry. It's great to be on with you. Nish, yay. Yeah, thanks for uh, having me on. Yeah, thanks for joining us. It's a great pleasure, our pleasure to have you on, for sure. Yeah, it's an honor. Respected individual <laughs> in the fields. And on such an auspicious day as oh well. Oh my God, yes. <laughs> Talk about a fucked up day. <laughs> yeah, this yeah, was... I've uh, actually been uh, out in the field. Oh, go ahead. Well, tell us. I I knew I heard you were going to be. I was out down in, the field. in uh, Carson City all day. There. How did it go? Yeah, there? yeah. So I had to go to Carson City. Get to work. Oh, up here skiing this week, and I had to go down and get some work done on my car. And then we went down to the Capitol building, and there was a pretty big gathering, say about two hundred people, and there were speakers and a live band playing and. DJ playing music. I, it was kind of a big party, but it was mainly in front of the Capitol building with people that have stopped the seal, uh, stop the steel election signs. And people were driving by and honking and cheering and probably 99 out of 100 were uh, supporters of Trump. It, it, once in a while, a Biden car would come by and, but it was no violence. It was pretty, it was just friendly mocking kind of thing. And, uh, it was interesting, as as we know now, it's a very historic day, and uh, I'm sure you guys have been a lot more uh, abreast to what's going on. I've I've been pretty much uh, out all day today, so I'm seeing the news or anything. But people have been texting me that uh, DC's under martial law right now, and uh, got kind of hairy in the Capitol building. Oh, it's been historic. It, I was actually. Uh, I knew it would be though. All the markers were there. The patterning. If you're watching the patterning with uh, with events and stuff, it's it was all there to see that it was going to be. And of course, there was blood in. You know, a woman lost her life in a nasty way, and so you know, it's ritual theater. Is blood, what it was. Bloodletting in the Capitol. Yeah, blood in. So the ritual's just wow. begun. So what was the backstory on the woman? Well, we don't have the full details, but what you see is her, so they breached the bill. Okay, so we've got D.C., the most protect, allegedly protect, protected space in the United States. These built these particular buildings, uh, and so the video I've seen is there's this one guard, 
policeman <laughs> that op basically opens the door and lets people in. I mean, the, the fact that you could breach it this easily is so suspect to me. I, I, it's every red flag for me is up on this unbelievable there was clearly antifa there there were clearly uh every sign of antifa was there and then of course the notorious bricks and there was protein uh propane and uh i had seen i live in the portland area and this last year i've seen a few uh antifa posters that are were basically you know preparing for events and asking people to join in and stuff. And then I'd seen some of the uh, paid protester advertisements around downtown that you get paid and you get to travel. Uh, so these were, there were a lot of agent provocateurs. Uh, there were, there was, there's so much going on here that was just absolutely flat out predictable. And so you could see this, coming down the pike and then the the process that was going on with the uh, legislature i don't even know there's it's going to take time to kind of and to sit with this all this imagery but this lady so the windows had been broken people are climbing the walls and this lady is going through a window and a police officer it looks like shot her in the neck and so you get to see her bleed out and die right there and there's the blood there she is and it i mean i couldn't i couldn't take my eyes off of every i'm watching i was watching from all kinds of live streams and on you know in the street live streams but i had i knew that this was going to be a blood ride i'd posted this days ago uh, because again you don't have to be psychic to see this stuff this stuff is patterning and when we look at some some of the stuff you dive into brad this is all part of this greater war that's going on this is all at play and uh there's a way deeper narrative if you get a macro view on it and kind of set the personal bias aside and look at how absurd some of this is which is why i keep calling it ritual theater of the absurd and so, I mean, it's continuing to unfold. It was historic in my entire life. I have never seen anything like this in the United States. This tops every other false flag. This tops everything. This was absolutely historical and staged in my opinion. Not the, there's a psychological factor here called participation mystique. So it only takes a few provocateurs to get a mob going, you, you know, this is the whole nature. This is part of the art of war. This is, this is all in the playbook. And so you can get, you can get people riled up and then you get, you get one person breaching a level of decorum. So breaking a window, etc. We've had two years at least of watching how this plays out. And it's the same playbook, except for there's so much bias towards um, towards Trump that this is uh, you know it's all one the main the main coverage is all geared towards that and it, it totally kind of looks like a coup. Now I'm nonpartisan, 
I just watch kind of as a non-locality person. And to me, it's all a show. So it, it was dramatic, Brad. You're going to be a gas when you go back and look at it. It's still playing out right now. It's still, I stepped away to come to the show. Well, wow. That yeah. guy, the guy with the- It was uh... going to be a historic day, but uh, I think you're right. Your narrative, Brad, uh, the stuff you we talk about. We were warned. Yeah. I was just going to say there were people in the crowd that said uh, that there were some agent provocateurs in Carson City rally. We didn't see any violence or anything happening, but uh, there were also a lot of police there, too. But yeah, it seemed like a pretty mild one to me. But I think this is going to go on for a couple of days in D.C. And I know some people that are there right now and uh, we'll see how they uh, say it goes. But wow. Historic oh, this day, was a, sure. this is this was a breaking point, and this is what what was wanted. This is that whole as above, so below. So we have the secret war going on. That's a bigger war with stuff you talk about, uh, and those factions yeah. are at hand behind the scenes here. And do not dispel the fact that there's AI involved, that there are different factions of entities involved here. That's all at play. This whole thing has been recently, and, and you know, with, with a deep, uh, deep legs here and a lot of takeover of, of the human form, of, of biohacking, if you will, so this is just getting started. This is just getting started. This was the blood in part of this ritual. It's going to be a hell ride from here on out for quite a while. Yeah, it really came across as uh, scripted in some ways, especially the, the storming of the Capitol building. You would think that that would never be allowed or they'd be able to blockade or lock all the doors to prevent that from happening. No, they basically so, let them in. We'll see how. Uh, hmm. yeah. So there's inside. This was inside sense. clowns. Well, it does. If you consider this on from a bigger perspective that we're talking about entity possessions, sure. we're talking we're talking on that level of of a takeover and we get outside of the human aspect of this and whatever people want to think human is uh, if we get outside of all of that and we start looking at this in a different way in another light say with a, a different light spectrum where we can see more of what's at play more of what's on the board instead of our narrow vision uh it's the the painting looks different <laughs> you know what the worst part was a guy with the horns and the fur he he's all have, over he didn't, yeah. have, he didn't have a mask on <laughs> oh oh lord <laughs> you know nobody did the, the somebody rally. texted me that picture yeah it's, it's well he's picture. been at several of the of these uh uh I don't even know what to call them because, you know, there's a lot of virtue signaling going on right now as I was listening to C-SPAN stuff. And uh, it's funny how this one gets called a riot, but none of the stuff that's been going on for the last two years where we're seeing destruction 
of inner cities and destructions of monuments and they're called peaceful protests so this one's getting called a full-on riot and it's the same agent provocateurs uh it's it's the same thing it's the same pattern playing out but this is the perspective that the mockingbird is giving everyone and it amazes me how many people just eat that up again this is social engineering this is social programming this is mind biohacking there's a bigger game at play here mm. wow and we're watching it all in real time we're living it interesting time we're living in. yeah we sure are so i'm i'm fortunate that i was able to get beyond esoteric out in time because there's uh so much going on and disruptions and supply chains but uh i was able to edit this book up to just about two months ago uh only a few weeks before it went out to the printer and was able to get a lot of updated information in here. I mean, of course, we're still watching to see who's really going to be the president, but uh, it's pretty clear that there was election fraud in these six states, including Nevada, where I'm at. So yeah. a lot of people were uh, out to rally for that, to get an honest recount. Or uh, We had heard that uh, the six electoral votes in Nevada had gone over to Trump, but they only got to, uh, what was it, Alabama and Alaska today before they shut the whole thing down. So even Arizona didn't get heard. So this, how long is this going to take to- uh, They're all capitulating now. Votes? I'm not sure. Again, They're all capitulating right now, Brad. Yeah, I was just watching it. So the ones that came to protest and say, let's get the proper votes counted have all are coming in. It's all live right now um, saying after today, we're, you know, we kindly, they're, they're, they're caving. So this whole narrative is now kind of that is crumbling. And it feels to me like that was part of the intent here, ultimately. That wouldn't surprise me at all. It's I just got been, a text right before we came on that said Trey Gowdy flipped. Yeah, and, and uh, there's been a lot of that, Brad. Uh, yeah. Well, we saw McConnell and uh, some other rhino Republicans who have flipped. And I mean, if you if you look at the evidence, if you look at these Dominion machines and the ballot stuffing, it's, it's quite clear that what we have is election fraud and why they think this can just be blown off and the people not be allowed to have faith in the electoral system. I, for one, am getting, beginning to think if this does not change, I'm never going to vote again. It doesn't matter. It's all fixed. Yeah, <laughs> It's all rigged. The fix yeah. is in. Uh, it wouldn't matter. And, and like Joseph Stalin said, it doesn't matter who you vote for. It only matters who counts the votes. Yes. And what are we, a third world country now? It's ridiculous. It's interesting to me that so really after, the Republic is at stake. After all this information that came out about Dominion and how damning it is that those actual machines were in the Georgia election, like uh, seriously, all of that information that is completely 
absolutely terrible that came out with those those machines yeah and they had the nerve to use those in the georgia stuff last night i i was like how can people not actually see this this is so obvious well they can't and, see it that's the thing the they hate trump that much yeah. that they'll, they'll just let it go they'll let it slide because they want to win that badly this is bigger than trump though this is about our election integrity i realize that and you realize that because we are right. critical thinking people I'm, these are <laughs> low information voters as <laughs> as uh tim pool likes to say yeah like oswald just said we'll we'll end the whole world 2024 sorry go ahead brad well we got the, the whole world is watching right now probably uh, in as much shock as we are. And if they've been using these Dominion machines and uh, their elections may be called into question, there's a great clip of, and CNN, of course, they take it down now if you repost it on YouTube, a CNN special uh, segment about Dominion when it came out of Venezuela and showing how it could be hacked. And this is about 10 years ago uh, when Cesar Chavez or uh, Hugo Chavez was still alive. He was the one that basically ordered this software to be used in the Dominion machines where 125% goes to him, but 75% goes to the other candidate. Yeah. And it's looking like though that's the way it broke down in some of these swing states, that it was just a certain percentage. But even with that, Trump was going to win in the swing state. So then they had to do the ballot stuffing. And that was just so obvious. Oh, my God. And they're God. pulling out the suitcases in Georgia and uh, all the counties with with many more registered voters and dead voters getting in on it. Uh, it's just ridiculous. But like you said, Jerry, the people, if you're a thinker, critical thinker, you're seeing through this and you're losing faith in this whole system. And I would venture to say the whole world is losing faith in this whole system unless we can get this cleaned up. It's the Great uh, Awakening. We've got so much at stake right now, not just our, our own country. Yeah. And, and well, the Republic itself. But uh, the whole world's that... faith in the voting system. That these claims of election fraud are disputed. I'll put the disclaimer out there for YouTube. <laughs> they they just the other day, while right. in in court, hacked live time, one of the Dominion machines live time while they were in court with all this through the like yeah. thermostat meter. I mean, the fact that they used them says it all. That. That's enough. So that's not even looking back at what went on during the election, which was appalling. Uh, just for anyone concerned about actual election integrity, but the fact that they just the other day exposed this lifetime that there's backdoor portals to these machines that and and were able to switch votes lifetime in front of people is absolutely if you were on the fence about the integrity of all this, that should have awoken you, not here, not you, Brad, but this should have awoken you, if you were on the fence, this should have brought some consciousness into your world about 
that at least that just that little factor but people are so caught in the bias and so caught up in the minute they against us part and again i just can't get past the fact that this is a deeper game here this is a darker game this is a deep state game and it has roots with other types of conscious entities that include ai mm. and we should just put the uh disclaimer out there you said it yourself nish that you're nonpartisan, and i would say i am too uh, I had been a lifetime Democrat and just saw the corruption and started drifting away. But even if you are full on Democrat, you should just be alarmed as we are because this isn't right and you can't cheat to win. Yeah. People who are so blind to say, well, if it's my candidate, then I'm happy for that. No, it's not like that. <laughs> Winners are not cheaters. <laughs> and this this can't be this can't stand as a as a fraudulent election. It is going to bring so much discord to this country and so much loss of faith in the system that it has to be corrected. And I can't believe how the lawmakers in D.C. don't see that the American public is so upset and following up on this. It's just mind-boggling to me i can't believe how many defectors there are and uh they don't believe that we're gonna care as much as we should or do they just hate trump that much that they'll go at all costs to get him out uh either way it's it's a danger to our democracy and the republic itself if this is uh allowed to stand yeah I was a lifelong long Democrat, too, and I wrote a lot of college papers about that perspective. And so I started venturing away the moment I started to get really into documents and uh, looking at signatures and not listening to into not paying attention to media years and years ago, not paying attention to media and actually reading documents and uh, and looking at signatures. That's when it all changed for me. I was like, whoa, this is this is way different. And the fact that when I first learned that big major changes to our life and livelihood would get passed and no in these fifteen hundred page plus documents, that no one was reading, they were just signing them. I, I started to lose faith real fast. And so, and I would read them as a citizen, I would go through, you know, when the National Healthcare Act went through, I went, holy shit, this is a tax. And we're going to, you're losing choice and you're losing rights and you're, it's going to be terrible for me at least. And, uh, from the way I saw it, because I, I do prefer less government in my life. Thank you very much. Uh, that's when I started to realize that this was a very strange game that I was not actually paying attention to because I didn't think I needed to. And so that's when I started actually hunkering down and reading. But I was married to an attorney for 10 years and went through the bar process with them and all that. So I had a heads up on legal writing. Mm. 
which is fuckery, by yeah. the way. Oh my God. <laughs> so yeah, that's what, but yeah, that's crazy. Brad, that's my point too. It doesn't matter where you stand. I think we need to get above that and look at the processes and but in the end, like I keep saying, this is a bit, this is bigger and it really touches into a lot of the stuff you write about. That's what I found so synchronistic about you being here tonight. You actually on the darker side of the stuff that you you talk about on the darker side of things that are going on and have gone on. There is some of this in there. There is part of this narrative that is a thread throughout some of the stuff that's going on on that level oh yeah yeah for sure and this is uh, the unseen realms or we could say what's going on that uh, uh, is not addressed by the media or government or education these are esoteric subjects these are that which has been hidden from us and this is why I'm so fascinated with these subjects because they really are uh, what's really going on in the world and, and telling us some clues as to our role in the universe and uh, how the elite make their decisions and so on. And the more you del delve into it, the deeper the uh, rabbit hole goes. So it's... Uh, quite a journey and for me to to learn this and uh to share it with people in in my books you were talking the other day i think on monday i can't recall um it was oh i think it was monday about blackouts and having supplies ready and all that we go into a little bit of that the blackouts yeah, I, it was a. Uh, I, I can't um, remember. It was some show you were on. I think on Monday, or maybe Jerry sent me the link. I I can't recall which one. It was a Strange Planet show. Oh yeah, yeah. Oh okay. Well, uh, we've been told by Q that there could be ten days of darkness. That could be interpreted a number of ways. It could be the, the internet or social media goes dark for 10 days it could be that the power grid goes down and and let's face it we have a very antiquated uh power system that uh, electromagnetic pulse could really cripple this country if uh the power went down for even just a day or two look what happened in new york city when they had their blackouts it was just mayhem on the streets within a hour let alone a, a few days. There's an old saying that goes back to the French Revolution that if people go without a meal for eight days, uh, we're eight meals away from re revolution. So not even eight days, just three days away from absolute total chaos. And, and the, during the French Revolution, they didn't have electricity back then. So if the people go hungry, and the people don't have power, they're going to go crazy, absolutely yeah. crazy. Yeah. So uh, that is what I fear the most that could happen in the world, in our country. If, if we had this blackout scenario, we would uh, 
certainly be in a world of hurt if it went on for more than just a, a day or so. Yeah, that's, absolutely. That's my biggest problem with electric cars. <laughs> oh, yeah, I know, right? You know, they want everyone to have electric cars, but, you know, when the power goes out, you're fucked. Yeah. Yeah. Well, they there's, yeah. you know, that's tied into the whole smart city thing, too, where you, you're you only allowed to go, like, 10 miles. You know, your radius is 10 miles. And all that stuff Deborah Tavares talks about. I was curious how any of this might play into chronovisor, you know, the yellow cube stuff. And uh, yeah, what do you have there, Brad? Well, it's on the cover of Beyond Esoteric. We did a, my designer and I worked on what the yellow cube would look like. And it's basically a device that can holographically project any scene from history. So if you were to say, have it on your uh, cell phone, talk about the next killer app, uh, you'd have the ability to look at every conspiracy and clear it up. You could freeze frame Dealey Plaza when JFK got shot and basically see where all the bullets came from, how many shooters there were, and it, everybody would come to the same conclusion that we would all, all just know it. So the backstory on the Yellow Cube is it was a uh, device that was demonstrated to the military heads during one of the uh, meetings with the tall gray aliens, tall whites, I believe, they were coming in every 10 years, part of this Griotta Treaty, which I, I do believe is null and void because the people of the world had no say in it. And it was a technology exchange. Our generals were very hungry for technology. They wanted secrecy and to be able to do human abductions and also the animal mutilations. And in 1964, they landed at uh, Holloman Base in New Mexico, secret meeting. And um, the generals back in that day were very Christian faith. Uh, and so the, the ETs asked them, what would you like to see? What event in human history? And they wanted to uh, see the passion play of Christ, the, the final moments, final hours of his life and so they queued it up and this historical event can be seen with crystal clarity exactly it was known then that uh jesus was a real man and he unfortunately died a very horrific death and all the events surrounding it so they it was it was holographically generated so you'd see old jerusalem the way it was uh, two thousand years ago you'd see uh the other people involved and they were so very impressed that they would have this device not only just to look back on uh, historical scenes but when you hold the device and connect with you with your own 
spirit. And so you can look back on your own past lives and it would be very, very real to anyone using it, looking at this because you would remember it. So uh, this was the technology exchange in 1964. And ever since then, they've, they've used it. It's been in our possession. It's in the family of looking glass technologies. There's also the chronovisor, which is a very similar device that uh, uh, has been spoken about as part of Project Pegasus by Andrew Passaggio. Uh, Stargates are also part of Looking Glass. It's interesting that Q did a drop about a year and a half ago about Looking Glass, uh, suggesting that the White Hats also had access to the Yellow Cube. Now, what's, what's interesting about using it Sure, you can go back and look at events. You can see who you were in past lives and so forth. That's all fine and well, but the military application is to use it for future events. And it must be understood that the future is nothing but a series of probabilities that if X happens, then Y is to follow and then Z is the result. But if X is different in some way, then it could be X, W, Z. See what I'm saying? So things can alter the timeline and the probability of those future events happens can be manipulated. So in the hands of the wrong people, this yellow cube could be a very dangerous device because they could game the system for the outcome that they wanna see. So it, it, it was very reassuring to hear that um, that the uh, White Hats through Q, if you follow that, and I do, I follow all narratives. Uh, uh, it's very interesting to hear what comes up in that, that, uh, that, that the White Hats, this uh, resistance group to the cabal and the deep state would also have access to it and would be using it to project the future timeline one that they want humanity to be on and that is the trajectory that we are on so it's been said that uh, time moves much like a river that it is flowing in the direction that the water flows it can be diverted and you can make channels come off of it but it doesn't really affect the full flow of the river it's very difficult to make the flow of the river move in a different direction and so when that is done, then, uh, then you have another timeline. And so my understanding is there's really many, many different timelines at play, but it's largely timeline one and timeline two. And timeline one is the majority of those who look at these think that we are heading towards that. It, it's almost inevitable that we will be going towards this golden age that humanity has for a long time. Uh, been very, very close to these light bulb moments or the hundredth monkey where humanity has a, a certain percentage that are awoken and can do this, but it's never quite happened. We've gotten there several times, but we've never quite gotten there where this uh, movement to 5D as it's been described or um, 
getting very close where you have a, a, a certain percentage of the population that wake up to what's really going on around them. Last time, and, and this is a very long period of time that this has been happening, five times we got very, very close, but the last time were the ancient Greeks in the classical age, the birth of democracy and many of our Western institutions, as well as artwork and architecture. So many things can be traced back to the ancient Greeks. Of course, the Romans modeled their form of government and copied their gods and so many other things. So we got close about 2,300 years ago, but didn't quite get there. Now is the next chance. And we're not quite there yet, but we're getting very close. And what that means is then we move into this, this golden age, this, this uh, new reality for people to uh, start activating themselves. And, and then, so this goes into a chapter I have in uh, Future Esoteric about superhuman abilities that we, we've had all these latent abilities within us ready to go, but certainly we're not being taught that in our school system. We're not being given this information through government or other institutions. So we have to figure it out for ourselves largely. And this is a good amount of the uh, information that I present in my esoteric series of books. So just to round out what the uh, yellow cube is. So it was then demonstrated before the generals, they were so duly impressed that they validated the Griotta Treaty for that decade. It's every 10 years, fourth year of each decade. And they've been using it ever since. Uh, my understanding is it now exists in Los Alamos. There's a very large deep underground military base there and that's where it is kept. Um, if both sides have it, good guys and bad guys, and it sort of neutralizes it. Uh, it's also been said that uh, Saddam Hussein had discovered a stargate, one of these ancient stargates and several have been discovered in some of the oldest archeological ruins. I have a picture in my new book, Beyond Esoteric of one of the stargates that was discovered in Egypt. Some are in the state of ruin, can't be reactivated, but the word on the street was that the reason we had to take out Saddam Hussein is because he did have an active working stargate and in a different kind of way, it could act in the same way that the yellow cube does. And you can have uh, access to future and past. Indeed, they are time machines of a sort. And did you know that when we went into Baghdad in the second Iraq war, the very first thing our US troops did was secure the Baghdad Museum. And that's where this Stargate that Saddam had was being stored. So to prevent him or anyone else escaping, they had to get that museum which held the Stargate secured. So little tidbits of history, but uh, interesting pointers that uh, this technology is real and is being employed to certain degrees. Yeah, this is 
it's always part of the i i i know that it's real as well and that's part of where it's hard sometimes to get people to pull up so you can pull up patents you can pull up all this information that that backs a lot of the tech that's not in the public and i spend a lot of time trying to link to stuff that's out there that people are not aware of you know the biohacking now is very real and it's in the field it's been in the field and so uh this tech with the yellow cube and all this there are patents and stuff there there's a there's a paper trail there's all this stuff and once you start bringing some of this information out to people and they can kind of get rooted into something that's tangible it's easier to get people on board with okay this is possible it's like being an artist where you paint something that could not be seen you you present it and then now it can be seen so once it's seen we can talk about it and uh i think that's been one of the kind of for me great things about 2020 is that a lot of stuff has come to the forefront on a lot of different uh, technology in a lot of different fields of inquiry, inquiry. I sound like Barbara Walters there. Uh, and, and it's been good for revealing some of this stuff that seemed very woo to people just a couple years ago. Mm -hmm. That's right. Well, that's part of the great awakening. And that's really what is going to move us into this uh, golden age, into this timeline one reality is when we all start to understand these sometimes very complex issues. And that's, that's really what uh, the whole model of the hundredth monkey is. Uh, you guys know about that? It was actually a anthropological study of, uh, of apes, uh, some, uh, a monkey tribe that lived in Southern islands of Japan uh, and around Kyushu Island in Japan. And so these uh, anthropologists were, were watching this tribe of monkey and they're, throwing them out some uh, potatoes into the dirt and they started eating them and they're just watching them what they would do for weeks went by and they kept eating the potatoes. And then all of a sudden one of the, an adolescent took one of the potatoes down to the river and washed it off and lo and behold, it tasted way better. So what was very interesting is that uh, not only did she go back and, communicate whatever way these monkeys communicate to her, her family unit and then other members of the tribe are observing them doing it. Uh, this whole monkey group just started taking their potatoes and taking them down the river and cleaning them up. But what makes this study so fascinating is that immediately upon a critical mass of this group of monkeys cleaning their potatoes in a certain way, the same species of monkeys on different islands started doing it right away. So it, it illustrates this light bulb moment that could very well happen with humans as well, where we all just start to get it. 
even if we're uh, completely uneducated or, or in the stone age people. And then there are humans right now alive on this planet that live in the stone age in the very deepest depths of the Amazon or some of the untouched valleys of Papua New Guinea. You have people that literally live in the stone age that have no technology that just wear uh, a penis gourd, for example, in Papua New Guinea, still hunt with a blow dart gun or not even a gun, but just a blow dart. And you also have people that are in outer space. You have humans that are on the space station and allegedly uh, Richard, <laughs> Richard Dole. Well, yeah, Richard Dolan proposes there's a, a breakaway civilization. Well, we do know that there are people in our, in the space station that that are up there just do, orbiting earth, but do we? Do Richard we? Dolan proposes that we have an entire breakaway civilization orbiting right. off planet. So my point was this, that we have such a wide diversion of humanity on this planet from stone age people to those living off planet. And this light bulb moment would affect everybody in the same way. It would still be the same kind of wake up call to everybody. And so all of a sudden, even these stone age people might just start having visions or ideas of who we are as a human family and, and the great big wide world out there beyond their little uh, patch of land that so many people really hardly ever leave. You know, until just a hundred years ago, if you were born in a little town here in America, it's a pretty good chance you're gonna maybe go to the neighboring town or two, but live your entire life within a 20 or 30 mile radius of where you were born. So it's really a very exciting time right now that we have the ability to travel, that we have the ability to communicate uh, cellularly and on the internet, um, bringing us closer together, bringing our human family closer together to the point where um, we realize that we have less differences than we thought. That, that we are quite similar. And I think this is helping people in this great awakening to understand that, uh, hey, we're all human beings on the same planet. Every person bleeds red blood. We're, we're just all the same, but in different contexts where we grow up. I mean, let's face it, you throw any one of us into uh, the Amazon to fend for ourselves, we'd probably be dead in three days. Right. So there's a different kind of brilliance that these people who we might we used to refer to as savages that they have that we don't have we're just attuned to our own culture and civilization uh, and there's no one better than the other it's just who we are in fact i i hope these uh uncontacted tribes stay that way and we should have laws to leave them alone and not to interfere Fear with their development. Just let them come to a come to their own uh, realization if they want to join the outside world. And many of them do not want to. In fact, there's funny stories of uh, people flying drones or low flying helicopters, and they come back. Them, they they just try to shoot them down. They just want to kill them as they would uh, some kind of predator flying in. So. A lot of different uh, 
parts of this human family, but in the end, we're all really pretty much the same. Jerry, you look like you're going to say something. I was. It was about the Amazon tribes. I'd read something recently about how one of them had caught COVID, one of the tribes, and I'm just thinking about how they're going to try and vaccinate these people now, <laughs> which will probably not work out too well, but whatever. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> I know. What, you know, one of the things that that I find interesting with the what you're saying here, Brad, is I can't help but re be reminded of 2001 A Space Odyssey with the megalith and how currently we've been seeing this kind of mockery, I, what, whatever it is, whatever it is, but it is symbolically hailing back to that and signaling that same information. So on a symbolic level, it holds weight with the silver monolith that seems to be popping up here and there. And, uh, and in the 2001 Odyssey film, that always signals a new step, like the 100th monkey effect in evolution. You know, there's some sort of tie in there for me when you, when you were speaking of that earlier. Mm -hmm. With the hundredth monkey, yeah, I, I, I think, yeah, these these monoliths have been popping up. Just seems kind of like copycat art pieces. I don't yes, really uh, attribute them on, to anything extraterrestrial. Well, what I'm saying is, it doesn't matter to me. It doesn't matter if they're real or not. That that's beyond the point. The idea is the symbolic factor that triggers into what we associate with that imagery that was seeded to us through the film Kubrick's film 2001 so yeah I think that they're totally uh I don't know how credible they are but it's just the symbolic factor and if we think about how the the human mind works how our unconscious or subconscious works in symbols rather than language it's a symbol in the world and it's uh, that holds a powerful weight with us on that level. And so here we are in a time of change and all the astrology, the different factions, Hellenistic, Vedic, Mayan, tropical, there's a lot of stuff going on that is tied into that. And then there is... Ooh, what was that? I heard something strange. Uh, there, there is demon. also everything is demons. Was it? Demon? Did you hear that? No. There was, and there's also this idea <laughs> of the tumultuousness that's going on with the unrest that we're seeing. So, just looking from a macro view again, this seems to be a time of, and you were saying it earlier, awakening. Uh, and so with that, where we're going and how we're going is very mysterious at this time because it feels very unstable. Wars, whether they're psychological wars, whether they're physical wars, whether they're uh, emotional or spiritual wars, have very uncertain outcomes. It's We want to be optimistic, of course. You always want to be optimistic 
in an outcome. I do. There are nihilists out there that don't, but you know, you always want, you want to root for yourself or that you're, you're going to come out somehow you're going to be all right. And that can extend to your tribe, your family, your state, your team, your people, etc. But in the end, there's no guarantee there. And so that's what I find mysterious in this particular time. And at this point, I wanted to tie in your, your research on the whole interterrestrial stuff that you talk about with, uh, within the stuff that's going on below us and in the cave systems and all that kind of mysterious world that could possibly be below us. Mm, yeah. Well, you know how we've always been programmed to look to the sky that extraterrestrials come from worlds above. And we've always been trained to keep our heads up and, and see things up there. Well, all the while, <laughs> they may be right below us, the inner terrestrials, inside the earth terrestrials. And then there's a third kind, that's the ultra terrestrials, the multi-dimensionals. In the yes. 19th century, they called them the etherics. They were the from the etheric realms. Uh, now we would know that as, as the multi-dimensions. But as far as uh, being right here on earth, there are races of ETs that exist on this planet and are the reptilian group of them are born as we are. And this is their workaround of the prime directive. We know that from Star Trek, but it is a real law of the universe that you're not allowed to directly influence the development of a civilization. And that's why we should leave the uncontacted tribes alone. Just let them advance as they would. Well, if it were, uh, say, an invading force coming here to Earth, that would be hugely illegal. That would be prevented. That, that would be stopped. But since some of these interterrestrials are from the Earth, and uh, the great majority of them are of these gray species types, and there are multiple types of gray aliens. Um, some are tall, some are only three foot tall. Most have those big bug eyes that we've been accustomed to seeing. Some have white skin, some have gray skin, some are even tinted green, as we've been uh, somewhat teased about little green men. Well, these interterrestrial, all the grays, you have to understand, are uh, biologically uh, constructed out of test tubes. None of them are natural born, but they have incredible psi abilities, telepathy. They can even use uh, telekinesis powers. They can phase in and out of our, uh, our reality. So in some ways they're also ultra terrestrial. Uh, it was said that when we had uh, found a few at the early crash sites, that uh, it was very hard to keep them till they realized, well, let's create a Faraday cage and, and that did keep them in place. But it's interesting that uh, 
we're only playing catch up now to their abilities. So even these synthetic biological aliens have abilities far in excess of what we have the capability for. So uh, as I understand the exopolitics, which means how humanity interacts with uh, the extraterrestrial world, by far most extraterrestrials are benevolent, that are hands off, that want to see us develop on our own. This is humans are the masters of the surface planet and they want to see how we manage things. But they realize that we're at a huge disadvantage to these uh, inner terrestrials, which were manipulating humanity in, in many different ways. I love these quotes from William Cooper when he came out from Naval Intelligence with a stack of documents and he went to the UFO Congress and in Vegas and in the late 1980s and still watch a grainy video of him presenting. And he said, uh, it was learned then and, in, and it was, they were still doing it at the time they found this out that these aliens were manipulating humanity through witchcraft, magic, the occult, and religion. <laughs> so these great institutions, Bill Cooper said they're, they're all being played by the ETs. And if you think about that for a while, it actually makes a lot of sense yeah. that they could phase in and out. So doing an occult ritual, uh, I have information on this in, in my book, Beyond Esoteric, uh, from the Freemasons to uh, satanic worship. These are interterrestrials that are also have ultra-terrestrial abilities that can phase in and out. And it's said that leaders that would go along with them, that would do, and they love their blood rituals, that would go along with this, would get shadowed by some of these malevolent ETs from the fourth dimension and were able to do things like secure business deals. They would work on behalf of these cutouts, these humans that are going along with it. And they were able to make these individuals fabulously wealthy, or in the case of celebrities, very rich and famous, uh, but they're selling themselves out. So it took me a while, but I finally understood what selling your soul to the devil really means. and and. And this is a, another way of, of understanding what that is. And that is if you really want these material things so bad and you're willing to do anything to get it, well, these malevolent ATs will help you do it. And that's why these secret societies, including Freemasons, have been so effective at controlling Western civilization for a good period of time. Uh, but their whole matrix of control is starting to crumble that this is an abomination against the, the higher power of good that working with these malevolent ets is not going to advance you spiritually in fact it's going to knock you down quite a bit and you most certainly will have to be reborn again to right your wrongs these are the laws of karma. These are universal laws. Even extraterrestrials obey the laws of karma. And until people realize that, 
that every thought, every action you make and you take, and I call this, this is what the real philosopher's stone is. When you realize you're uh, an, an eternal being in a spiritual form, I love the bumper sticker. You're not a human having a spiritual experience. You're a spirit having this human experience. And we get down here and many of us get trapped. And that's why the subtitle to Beyond Esoteric is Escaping Prison Planet. Because yeah. that's really what's going on down here. And if you get caught up in these material trappings, guess what? We got another lifetime for you. How about another hundred lifetimes till you get it right? So until you realize that all you can do to get out of here, if that is your choice, is to be the very best human being you can be and live a very high integrity life and walk the walk and talk the talk, it's just going to keep going on and on and on. And I spent uh, many years living in uh, the Far East. I was an English teacher in Japan and I traveled for uh, several years in Asia and lived among Buddhist and Hindu communities. To them, reincarnation, it's given. It's totally understood by people. And I always say, because I've, I've traveled quite extensively, I've been to all seven continents, that uh, the Buddhists are the coolest people I've ever encountered, just because they're so centered, they're so balanced. Even when they're dirt poor broke, and the, the monks come out every morning with a empty bowl, and, and they're not begging, they're just walking through the streets with an empty bowl and people come out and they give them food for the day and they're and they're contented that they can go back to the temple and uh and pray and meditate and um that's their life so when you see things from the other perspective this is why i'm such a advocate for people to travel internationally and go to see these countries for themselves i tell you it's been one of the greatest educations I've ever had and and I think most people who have traveled extensively would agree that when you see the world from the other side it's a perspective that will never leave you uh, and it will certainly define the person that you can become uh, and be very grateful from having the opportunities we've had to grow up in this world and to uh, have the opportunity to define yourself the way you want, to get a good education, to be able to make the money to travel. Because like I said earlier, 100 years ago in America, you would probably be living within your 20 mile radius. And I'll tell you, people in rural or third world countries, uh, they still live that way. And they have no opportunity to leave. They're living on the land just like their ancestors did. Their mode of transportation is water buffalo, cart, or riding on a donkey. You'd be surprised how many people still live very primitively on this planet. But they're still human beings, and they still have all the abilities to wake up as we in the Western world do. And so that's what I, I find so exciting about coming into this great awakening, is that it really should be for everybody and it should be a wake up that that everybody um, has a part in and can benefit from yeah i i agree with you on all that and i've always thought it was very important 
I'm a, I'm a big believer and proponent of getting out of the nest and going on the journey. You can always return to the nest, you know, it's, uh, I'm a macro kind of person where it's serves you in such un languages. It's even hard to language around how it serves you to travel and see how other people live and, observe other cultures and ways of being and other perspectives and that informs everything for me personally i was wondering so you you talk about so i was wondering with all of this brad if yeah. where does terraforming come in there's a real sense that we're being terraformed in my opinion. And now with the work that uh, Jared Murphy's doing with Terra Preta, and we're seeing that engineered soil goes way, 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 way back. And uh, this is rewriting our historical narrative in a new and exciting way. It's bringing in depth where we were lacking some of this uh, scientific evidence to suggest that there has been more going on here uh, than most people want to realize. And through that new form of investigation, uh, we're really getting knee deep, or we're getting in the dirt, literally, of the fact that there seems to be mounting evidence of big narrative shifts in the idea of terraforming the earth that go way back. Yeah, that's right. And it's uh, stepped up and can be seen to this day. Look up in the sky and you see the chemtrails. That's a form of terraforming right, right there. What does terraforming mean? Well, terra is earth, forming is shaping. Well. It could also be in the sky, it can be the land, it can be the ocean, can be terraformed in different ways, changing the chemistry balance, for example, of the atmosphere or moving around the uh, earth. Humans are masters at terraforming. It shouldn't come to any, anyone's surprise that we've been terraforming this planet for thousands of years. Yeah. But when you terraform in a way that uh, people don't know you're doing it. For example, what they're spraying on us in chemtrails, uh, the geoengineering programs, and there's a chapter in Beyond Esoteric about geoengineering, then they're terraforming against our will. And this can be taken to a very uh, diabolical point too, where it can be literally poisoning us. And we know that uh, there have been some very dark programs. Tuskegee is one. Uh, in St. Louis, they were actually spraying in such a way that people were getting very sick and going to hospital, mostly doing it in, in poor areas and, and largely to black people. So were they spraying lithium in California too? I think that our government would do that. Well, yeah, that's right. They did it in uh, San Francisco. Right. Um, they were spraying uh, in the 1960s and uh, with consequences. People were dying 
from um, this uh, Legionnaire's disease. There's and diseases, and uh, you, you got to ask, well, who thinks this way? Who would do this? Well, that's why we're on Prison Planet. There are sociopaths who are attracted to power who, who will do this. But it goes even a step further. It's not just that the Rockefellers and the Rothschilds, yeah, they're the human cutouts. They've gotten enormously wealthy uh, in their ill-gotten gains, I would say. But they're working with this malevolent ET group. So the Rockefellers and the Rothschilds, they're like the colonels and the captains. The real generals have been these reptilian ETs. And we are just going to have to come to terms with this. As hard as it is for first-time listeners to hear this information, it just is what it is. And while we have been under their grip for a long time, as William Cooper said, through witchcraft, magic, the occult, and religion, uh, they're being exposed. And I often say that the revolution is consciousness, that the way we get out of this is for a mass awakening. It's the only way we're going to move to the, uh, to the golden, golden age is, is by understanding this. And, and by doing that, then we're also exposing these geoengineering programs. Now look, uh, terraforming and geoengineering, they can be used for good. I don't think they are on this planet, but let's say for example, Mars, <coughs> we could terraform Mars. We could geoengineer the atmosphere of Mars, make it a much more livable planet. That could be a solution to overpopulation. People might volunteer to go just like the pioneers of old or the pilgrims coming over here. People just might want a fresh start and colonize a new planet. There are so many possibilities but we have to be empowered as a human race. And let's face it, uh, Star Trek was a very successful TV series that came out in the 1960s, created by Gene Roddenberry. And it was telling the story of humans 350 years in the future. Well, that's only uh, 300 years in our future that we could be exploring the universe, like the uh, age of discovery sailors of old and advancing science, bringing back much needed wisdom or perhaps resources if it wasn't exploiting like uh, the movie Avatar two would be. Humans will become a terror machine around the universe with high technology and exploiting other planets. And I do believe that's why director James Cameron made that movie to warn us that uh, we had better change our ways and not become the bad earth conquerors, much in the same way that the reptilians are like a, a field of locusts and they'll just find a, a vulnerable planet and then infect them. We can't be that. We have to be the good humans that go and observe the prime directive and do not interfere in developing civilizations and that's what we're on the cusp of becoming and we should embrace that but not 
poison ourselves and not uh, hold this information from the people. It, it is in many of the ET cultures, the benevolent ETs, that every generation improves upon what previous generations have done. And they do live in a very transparent world. They are also ultra terrestrials and they could look just like us, say the Pleiadians or um, Arcturians, even Syrians are very human-like beings, but very, very advanced. Uh, but they live in such a way that they're, they can read each other's aura, for example. So you can't lie anymore. You can't cheat or steal or any of the negative emotions because you'd just be so transparent that uh, people would understand that. And so that, that could be us in the future. And, and think about the court system. If everybody can read another person's aura and tell when you're lying, would be living in an age of transparency. That's one of uh, the chapters in the utopia section of future esoteric. So I do believe we're moving in that direction, but there are going to be roadblocks and uh, misdirections to prevent us from going there. Because once humans are fully empowered, it's a totally changed world and there's no going back. So we are indeed entering the age of Aquarius. We're entering this thousand year yuga cycle, uh, all cultures around the world that have measured time in the, the long count like the Mayans realize that we go into periods of darkness, which we're just coming out of. And then there are periods of uh, enlightenment. And this is what we're on the cusp of doing. And I do believe if people understand why they're here and what they're doing here on a, a spiritual level, they'll realize they're here to help foster this great awakening. And speaking for myself, I know that's why I'm here and I do wanna get it right this time and have the opportunity to leave if I choose. Now there are those who become enlightened and they choose to come back. The, the Buddhists call them bodhisattvas and it's a beautiful thing that a master would come back out of their sheer love for humanity, knowing that uh, this is a dark place. Uh, there is still much injustice. There is still many people who need to awaken and move on. And we need those, uh, those masters to come back and help humanity. And they do so by choice. And that's really what it's all about. That's the philosopher's stone. If you do understand your role and what you can do and that you are indeed a master yourself, that you can work out your own personal karma and then become in service to others, you're, you're, you're halfway there. You're more than halfway there. You're, you're getting towards the finish line. And I do believe every single one of us is on a trajectory, an evolutionary trajectory, and it is always to become a better and more complete human along the way. So, oh, sorry. I, Jerry, I thought you, you look like you were going to jump in. I, for, I was before, but I forgot what I was going <laughs> to ask, but yeah. Dude, get your notepad out. Yeah, I've got it. I just <laughs> forgot to write it down. So, Brad, I'm wondering, so so springboarding on this, 
what are your ideas on humans and the human genetic coding? Because I think that a lot of, I think we are, I think we're a big pot of mixed genetic codes from different aspects. And I think that a lot of our recessive genes are uh, placed there intentionally. And the idea of a recessive gene that expresses itself at specific times is a key factor here. Uh, and I also think this does tie into some of the stuff that's going on around the world right now with this uh, raking of genetic codes. So where are you, what do you, what is the human to you? What's a homo sapien sapien to you? Hmm. Yeah. And, and I cover this in the first book in the esoteric series, looking all the way back to the antediluvian civilizations, but also this primitive wisdom that we've been part of. We're all a human family. We all know it in a very intuitive way. And in my new book, Beyond Esoteric, I have a uh, chapter called Suppressed Human Origins. And then when you factor in the archeological record of, of giants and some of these elongated skulls with cranial capacity 30% larger than modern humans. Uh, Lloyd Pye was traveling around with the star child skull, which had very much like a extraterrestrial cranial capacity. And even mainstream media has reported on the Boskop skull of South Africa, which is also a much larger head than human. So put it all together and you have human-like entities that have lived here on this earth, but not quite human homo sapien sapien. So what that means is we've coexisted with other human-like, I would even go so far as say, sometimes extraterrestrial human-like beings that have been here. And you can yes. look at the Bible with the Anunnaki, uh, the Nephilim, and you have clear examples of giants in, in our prehistory. Some of the earthen mounds here in North America contain giants. They're still being found around the world. I was just in South America two years ago, and you can go into museums and see some of these elongated skulls. And when I asked uh, our guide about it, uh, why, why are you guys open with this why do you allow when they're saying well this is part of who we are we're not afraid or ashamed of these beings living within within us and many had been uh kings and were buried in in royal tombs and mummified uh and are very human-like but not quite human some even had uh elongated fingers, uh, much larger skulls, as I mentioned, which would then suggest much larger bodies. There's your giants, people. They've been among us all this time, but have been ruthlessly suppressed. This kind of information, especially in this country, there's a whole scandal called Smithsonian Gate of the Smithsonian Institution 
yeah. coming in like uh, FBI directors on this uh, dig, and we <laughs> noticed that you've discovered some uh, giant bones there, sir. Well, we're taking over this investigation right now. And uh, a great example in a story I profile in Beyond Esoteric in the Suppressed Human Origins chapter is uh, Beloit College, a, a group of academics digging in southern Wisconsin, not too far from where I grew up in northwestern Illinois, and doing it as an academic would and carrying it out like a, a proper archaeological dig. And sure enough, here comes the Smithsonian say, oh, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll keep you informed. We'll let you know what happens. A couple months later, uh, scientists inquired. No answer back. We don't know what you're talking about. They're gone. So the Smithsonian stands accused of dumping thousands of out-of-place artifacts, as they're called, or UPAs. Not only the, the tools and the implement, implements used, but also the bones themselves, just dumping them in the Atlantic. Just get rid of the evidence. And you got to ask yourself, why? Well, in the 19th century, people were very religious. Okay, they had a following the Bible, the creation story, Genesis. That's one reason. But it also has to do with manifest destiny. This whole notion in this country that it is our destiny as the, the white settlers to take the native land. They're just savages. That it's our destiny to form this country from coast to coast. And when you insert giant being found in these earthen mounds with tools and implements that they used as well as uh, sometimes skeletons and armor. Uh, well, this throws a, a monkey wrench into this notion of history, including the notion of evolution, that we're all descended from the great apes and that we should all uh, have some place in this tree of life as it is with uh, homo sapiens and being the top of the tree that that we're the apex of this this evolution so to throw in another uh, human-like species that had bigger brains than ours and presumably bigger brains means uh, better cognitive abilities more abilities and uh, different ways of thinking it just was more convenient to just sweep it under the rug and get rid of the evidence. And I think that was the, the largely the, the motivations as well as the, the church of the age. They didn't want to have to explain this. How could there be these giants that, that had a different kind of ways of living and thinking. And in, uh, even though they're written about in the Bible, um, they didn't want to confront the idea that, uh, they had them right here in this country. So I, the, I was thinking about <clears throat> having the Smithsonian come in and talk, you know, take stuff away. That's a age old story, especially with the giants and uh, <laughs> stuff they found in the Grand Canyon. Yeah. Um, but I mean, yep. how do people know they were actually from the Smithsonian? They could be some government agency that just covers up history. Or you know, non-conforming history. We we yeah. don't we don't know for sure. That would yeah. explain why the Smithsonian can never cough up any of the stuff that they've allegedly taken, too. True. 
as like in the uh, end of the first Raiders of the Lost Ark. Yes. Remember they uh, had discovered the Ark of the Covenant and the very last scene is just this ginormous warehouse with all these carts and crates. And then there's the Ark of the Covenant kind of yeah. burning its eternal flame, just stacked away. So warehouse 13, view. right? Uh, I, I think there's so much history that has gone that route. Yeah. <laughs> have you seen Underground that, for have sure. Have you seen that show, uh, Warehouse 13? Used to be on sci fi. No, no, I haven't seen it. Oh, Is it about that? It's a good show. It's about an organization that has warehouses throughout the world that house these types of artifacts. Oh, wow. That sounds cool. It, it's a very cool show. Well, it's kind of lame. It's cheesy sci-fi, you know, channel stuff, but it's it's still a good show. Sure, sure. Cool. So um, you've done some research on Antarctica, and I wanted to touch on that before we wrapped up about, you know, what what do you think is going on down there? Why is it <clears throat> this, uh, this place that no one can get to easily, and yet every country has a presence there, and et cetera? What did you discover in your research? Yeah, it, yeah, and I traveled down there two years ago. Oh, cool. uh, exactly two years ago, I was waiting to get on a, a sailboat, uh, 14 of us, going down to the Palmer Peninsula from Ushuaia, Argentina, and uh, spent about a month on that boat, 26 days. And we went to six different research stations, and I was interviewing people who worked at the research stations or other boat captains or people who crewed or anyone I could talk to. And I was very interested in finding any information about uh, antediluvian civilizations to pyramids poking through the ice to these three large mothership craft that are supposedly down there. Our alphabet agencies have nicknamed uh, the three ship names of Christopher Columbus. And I think I've uh, pinpointed one of them. And it just so happens to be in the German claim of New Schwabenland. So I do a presentation called The Hidden Anomalies of Antarctica. I go around to speak at conferences and that's about a 90 minute talk and show a lot of slides and pictures, some from my trip, but more from research. And then what's speculated to be down there. Now, I'll just have to say that the people that I talked to, they couldn't give me any information on these subjects, but I did find some interesting things. For example, at one of the bases, it was an Argentinian base called Brown. They had said that, uh, talking to two researchers, and they were both reluctant to divulge this information, but eventually got it out of them. One guy that I befriended and he finally says, okay, I'll tell you. And a bit of his reluctance kind of added credibility to this story. And he said that they had uh, another base not far from the German claim of New Schwabenland called the Belgrano II base. And they had had a UFO sighting about a month before of craft and orbs, like light orbs and disc-shaped craft. And so it was 
interdepartmental banter between the bases when it got to this gentleman and he told me about it. The other most certain finding is that there is a very large no-fly zone over a section of the South Pole. Now there is a base there called the uh, Amundsen-Scott South Pole Station. It is an American base and they are doing a lot of uh, experiments down there, but it kind of begs a question in a continent that is so sparsely populated, in fact, in the winter time when there are no tourists and many of the seasonal bases close, there's only a thousand people on the entire continent, yet this no fly zone stands. In fact, if you look at Google Earth and try to zone in on uh, the South Pole, you'll see that there are no, there's no pictures of it at all. Now, it could be that they don't have satellites that go over the South Pole. That's true. Um, but there are enough composite shots that probably could put together enough to show it. However, many whistleblowers from Antarctica, several who have talked to Linda Moulton Howe, including one named Brian S., whose information I have vetted and looked into, he says he... Uh, defied orders. It was an emergency rescue going from the South Pole Station to uh, the Australian Davis Station. And rather than flying around the no-fly zone, he went over it and saw this ginormous hole in the ground through the ice. And this also corresponds with what Admiral Byrd, who is himself a aviator, as well as the uh, top admiral in Operation High Jump that confronted some force in the New Schwabenland area shortly after World War II. But Admiral Byrd in his journals spoke of flying into this hole was big enough that he felt safe enough to drop his plane down into this hole with plenty of room to turn around and fly out. And what he saw down there was nothing short of incredible, that it was like another world, that it was this inner earth and that there was megafauna and megaflora existing below the ice in this uh, fantastical world. And you couldn't write a screenplay as interesting as this. Now, is it just a fancy flight of imagination or did one of the most decorated admirals in uh, our U.S. military history actually see something down there and does that correspond to this no-fly zone. So I find that very interesting as well as uh, a corresponding region in the northern hemisphere in uh, the North Pole region. And Brooks Agnew is a good friend of mine. We speak at conferences together. We often have tables next to each other. We request it so we can just catch up and talk about things and we were actually putting together a plan to go to the North Pole region to investigate where he says he's got the exact GPS coordinates of this other opening to inner earth. But of course, all international travel was greatly disrupted by COVID and yeah. even going down to Antarctica right now during high season has been uh, greatly cur curtailed, if not completely canceled. Do, do you so, think these uh, these holes are that connected? That has been put off. 
Sorry. Do you well, think, it, yeah. it's more like if you, if you know what a torus looks like, yep, like the torus field and energy field. So the holes. yeah, anytime you have spinning and energy, you're going to have an in and out. You're going to have uh, an, an opening on two sides, much like humans are torus or any living thing. Yes. We take in food, water, nutrients, and then we also excrete. So humans are like a living torus. All living things are a torus. Right. Our energy it's quite fields fascinating are if you look at it in that way and correct. And so would be the planet, the living Gaia planet itself. So it would stand to reason that there would be an energy in and out. And what's so very interesting about this is that it said many of the uh, wormholes that go to other planets exist right above the polar region. So for example, in the North Pole, there's a wormhole to the planet Vega. That's a shortcut. That's this Einstein-Rosen bridge that uh, greatly decreases the distance of space and time. It's a, a way to travel uh, quite long distances, but uh, have a shortcut through. How so that's how, very interesting that these would exist also at the polar region. Absolutely. Yeah. How would those differ from like the stargates you talked about earlier? Well, so wormholes are naturally occurring. They are just part of the fabric of the universe. Okay. And if you know where you're going and if you know how to identify them, you can put your craft through and be at your destination in a greater fraction of time as it would take to just fly straight out. Whereas the looking glass technology, including stargates, are very much manufactured technology okay. that they're created to be able to go through uh, space and time. So even teleportation is a form of looking glass technology, uh, teleporting uh, goods and uh, supplies to other uh, planets or other craft in the universe. Do you remember when uh, Gary McKinnon yep hacked into uh the nasa yeah, yeah when he got in about 20 years ago yeah right uh building mm. six yep. non-terrestrial officers and he was able that's right yep and he saw a big cigar-shaped craft and but he also saw some of the uh manifest forms for shipping goods around and he was deducing that they were using a form of teleportation to move the supplies out to these ships. And I've spoken at conferences with um, some of these uh, secret space program super soldiers, Penny Bradley to Randy Kramer to James Rink. And all of them say, oh yeah, we have that. We've been teleporting for decades now. That's uh, it's kind of old technology in a way. And only now are our scientists not only alert, showing uh, that levitation is possible, but also moving matter from point A to point B using teleportation technology is also possible. Yeah. I so just, this really uh, raises 
the speculation and stakes about what's possible as far as interstellar travel. Yeah, I just read this week that they had the longest the longest distance of quantum teleportation ever. I think it was like forty four kilometers. So yeah, I mean, if if they're experimenting oh, with wow. it now, cool. yeah, if they're experimenting with it now in public, you gotta figure it's been around. Yeah, yeah, exactly. They've had it for a while, and I've heard other people talk oh, about. It. I think I don't know if it was Bisagio, Bisago or. Uh, someone else talking about how there's a teleportation tunnel between like uh cocoa beach and la because the uh oh, there's there's quite a few yeah there's, there's another one between pine gap australia and area 51 uh nellis in nevada um and others and that's that's right that's teleportation technology on this planet yeah there were they, I forget who it was who I heard talking about it, but they were they were saying the um, the liquid uh, what was it? It was something they used with the space shuttle that got uh, captured back in Florida, but they had to move it to to L.A. to have it like repaired to reuse it. So they used uh -huh. this this thing to do it instead of driving it across country. Wow. <laughs> well, then you have the whole, and we were talking about underground bases earlier. You all have the whole uh, maglev system yep. of uh, high-speed rail, monorail, essentially, that uh, can travel at Mach 2 speed. So that's twice the speed of sound. But they hoard the technology, see? So they're not letting us have it. Why do, why do we keep polluting this surface planet with gas, oil, coal, and nuclear, when we could have had free technology had we followed Tesla's world system 100 years ago. That just shows the control grid that these global elite have over us. And, and I would venture to say with the little help from their malevolent ET friends. And so you were interested in, in Antarctica and, and so in Nazi Germany, they were then allied with some of these malevolent ETs who have bases down in Antarctica. Uh, and I do believe they were also in this new Schwabenland region that was claimed by the Third Reich. Because when Admiral Byrd had assembled his armada offshore, the Battle of High Jump commenced. Right. And they were in the process of bombing base 211 or the new berlin base i know exactly where it is on a map and uh on the second day the sh the the planes that went out to do their bombing they dropped their payload and then blip they just dropped off the radar screen never to be heard from again nobody knows what happens to those pilots and then shortly thereafter on the same day uh craft came up out of the water and confronted the armada and sliced one of the ships in half with uh, what we would know today as a directed en energy beam or a laser, uh, just as a show of force to say, you guys have <laughs> nothing on us, you can't compete. And indeed they couldn't shoot these craft down uh, and Admiral Byrd ordered the armada and the whole operation high jump to Retreat. abandon yeah. its mission two months into the six-month mission well admiral bird he kind of talked more than the military brass wanted him to and he 
quipped to a Chilean journalist on the way back that uh, we are going to be confronted with a new enemy that has the ability to fly pole to pole at incredible speed. Well, Jerry, as far as I know, we still don't have any craft that can fly pole to pole at incredible speeds. And so, yeah, I mean, we're talking now uh, going on 80 years ago when this happened. Uh, And here we are with uh, a secret space program, but now a space force that may have the ability to uh, (coughs) bring us up to speed. Yeah, I hope so. I mean, uh, there's... these malevolent ET. Yeah, I, I think. Yeah, uh, you probably... see, this is what the. Sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. Well, I was just going to say th- this is what the uh, this is what the military was so keen on acquiring this alien technology during through the Griotta Treaty, so that we would have the ability to fight back with these malevolent ETs, which were so far superior, technologically speaking. And I'm really good friends with Laura Eisenhower, know her through conferences and we spoke many times together. I've been on her show uh, about a month ago, Dark Delight. And um, she often finds herself in a position of being an apologist for her great grandfather, Dwight D. Eisenhower, who actually had been part of this technology exchange. And and you can understand it from his perspective that, hey, we're, we're dealing with uh, this ET presence and maybe even the, these Germans after World War II in possession of this technology that we have to be able to fight back. And you can see why he made the decisions he did. Many think it was the wrong decisions to allied with these malevolent ETs in the same way that the... Uh, the Nazis had. And it should also be noted that uh, the flyover of the Capitol, remember that in 1952, when all these craft came uh, flying right over, that those weren't aliens at all. Those were the new Schwabenland discs that can fly pole to pole. Yep, they were the Nazis showing us in no uncertain terms that we can fly over your most restricted airspace and you can do nothing about it. And after that, a deal was struck. And it can be argued that we have been infected with the Nazi ideology ever since. You guys know about uh, Operation Paperclip, Paperclip, where they brought over all these uh, Nazis who should have been in the Nuremberg trials for war crimes. No, we're just going to put them in high positions of government and And let them start NASA and the CIA and MKUltra, all yeah, and corporations. Monsanto, right. Merck. And just keep in mind, and I have a chapter in Future Esoteric called The Fourth Reich in America, that America also includes South America oh, yeah. and Central America, and by extension, uh, Antarctica. Yeah. That they were pretty well everywhere. They were the third force. See, then they went underground and just became an intelligence uh, operation because they didn't have a standing army anymore. But... Uh, read some great books. Uh, Henry Stevens wrote a book called uh, Dark Star about the uh, Nazis in Antarctica and the whole third force. And he was saying that they were the ones that were largely responsible for our Cold War. Look, we were allies with Russia in World War II, that they were able to uh, 
stoke the flames of discontent among the allies and the Russians to play us off each other, to keep us thinking that the other was the enemy. All the while, this Fourth Reich, they went underground and then they continued with their backward engineering of saucer technology. Some of it went to Antarctica, but then they realized it was not a very hospitable place to live. So by the time the Americans had launched uh, Operation Argus, which is still a classified operation of supposedly blowing off nuclear warheads in the upper atmosphere way down in the Southern Ocean and right off the coast of New Schwabenland. But I think they nuked uh, New Schwabenland finally as a final act of retribution for Operation High Jump and and that operation, uh, the flyover, that they're, they're, even though we were forced into a treaty with the, this, uh, the Fourth Reich, that there was still a lot of uh, resentment. But by the time of Argus, most of the operations had moved to South America. And I'll tell you, there are large, enormous tracts of land in Chile and Argentina that they still don't know who owns it. Just some entity came in with huge amounts of money right before World War II and following World War II. Just keep in mind that Martin Borman was put on trial uh, in absentee at Nuremberg and sentenced to death. And he keeps popping up all over South America in the 1940s and 1950s. He was the money man. He was the number two to Adolf Hitler at the end of the war. And it could be argued in the History Channel did a three-part series on hunting Hitler throughout South America. And I went to a bunch of these locations myself. Uh, I do believe he escaped. Why wouldn't he? Just jump on a U-boat. Let's start the Fourth Reich in the Americas. And that's what they did. Uh, so they have been part of this uh, secret war that we've been forced ourselves into. And Penny Bradley, so she was actually in the secret space program on the German side. And if history were to be told accurately, maybe by using the yellow cube to look at any event in history with crystal clarity, we'll find that actually the Germans were the first modern humans to land on the moon, not Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin. And they uh, beat us by uh, decades that they were actually there post-World War II, maybe even in the 1930s. They had advanced discraft technology that they could uh, warp time and space to the point where gravity became a non-issue. You basically, uh, and I have chapters of how to fly a UFO in future esoteric, they basically create a gravity field that uh, allows the craft to move towards that gravity field, even if it's straight up. So the earth gravity has no effect. And that's how they're able to take craft off planet and then uh, through space. Right. It, it, it directs the gravity field to a point where it wants to go and then it's pulled that way, right? So yeah, I remember right. hearing that. Yeah, that's really interesting. And that's also, too, there's stories of Nazis on the moon. That's the whole uh, was it yep. Iron Sky story. Yep. You got it. It's interesting. Yeah, interesting stuff. Interesting a lot stuff, of, yeah. Uh, 
Esoteric subjects. <laughs> Still a history that needs to be told correctly. Just told, period. It's been said that about 90% of all information, all history has just been hidden from us or incorrectly told. But uh, that's going to change. We will uh, be confronted with our real history, our real purpose here on Earth earth and so much more and technology beyond our wildest dreams as uh ben rich the head of skunk world Skunkworks, had yeah. said yeah, we so we live in a very hours. exciting time i i really think uh that, yeah that's right that's what he said yeah uh, time to be alive and see it all happening play out in real time do you follow cliff high at all on on twitter or youtube yeah sure you ever, have you heard him talk about sci-fi world is coming? Yeah. yeah. It's kind of same same thing. Sci-fi world? That's what he calls, he calls it. it. Like all this new yeah, tech yeah, is going to start coming out. We're going to yeah. be in a sci-fi world. Cool. Nish, you yeah. got anything before I go to questions? But again, technology. Go ahead. Well, the tech is coming. What's well, happening is. Oh, go on, Brad. Just simply that, uh, keep in mind that technology is is uh, only a tool. Yes. Technology is a tool that can be used for ill or good. You can use a hammer to create a home and shelter, or you can bash the head in someone that you don't like. It's it's really up to us. So we got to think about technology in the terms of a benevolent use of it instead of that which can enslave or uh, destroy others. And it, yeah. it, it's a very distinct philosophical difference between using technology for good or for ill. Well, what we see and what what we've been seeing in the last several years, but really this year, there's been a lot of revealing of technology that seemed very woo-woo or uh, over the top for a lot of people that includes bio hacking and uh stuff that's getting really tied into the electromagnetics of our our biological field and our our flesh that's coming through with new platforms that start with 5g moving into 7g with extended reality and augmented reality and we find that uh, these programs, of course, have been active behind the scenes for a very long time, but it's just interesting, as I said earlier, how now it's all being seeded forward. I have seen so many journals recently bring forward what they're calling new tech and, you know, new tech that's in the field and presenting it now, which is blowing this whole idea up and giving a bigger, giving more optics to the fact that we are, as Cliff High says, coming into sci-fi world. Uh, and so it's going to be interesting to see. What is sad, though, and what always saddens me is the hubris of whomever's in charge, whomever's using it nefariously in the background and has been using it nefariously in the background. And we see some of this with targeted individuals and, uh, and in warfare and, and these uh, 
controlled settings where people are really being fucked with and it it's sad but i find that there's a bit of vindication for those that have been talking about this stuff for years and years this year and so it's been nice to see some of this come forward the lockheed martin stuff I mean, we could go on about it. So I'm hoping that just with the optics alone of being visual in the public with these new texts that are old texts, uh, we can get more people on board with the idea that the world is not as they thought it was. So it's, it's revealing that it's here, but it also ultimately is going to reveal that it's been here a long time. And like I said earlier, with the work Jared Murphy's doing in the field with Terra Preta, particularly, we can also go backwards in time and see that these other civilizations, uh, you know, that some people may want to call Lumeria or Mu and uh, I mean, beyond Gobekli Tepe. Atlantis. Mm-hmm. Yeah, beyond past that, uh, and that's deepening the idea of how old civilization is through Terra Preta uh, is groundbreaking. And so these are very exciting times, Brad. And I'm thrilled that this third book, Beyond Esoteric, is out just in time for all of this as well. And this is the final book in the series, correct? Yeah, it is the final, and it's always meant to be a trilogy, and it's, I never repeat my information, so it's uh, very pertinent to this time right now. Yeah, Yeah. I'm glad I got it out right before a lot of things start happening. Well, I love that it has the yellow cube on the cover. I mean, I just think that nothing could be more relevant than that right now, especially just how significant that kind of technology is uh with where we are so thank you for that you know the the work you're doing and others like you bringing this stuff forward is well needed that's what i I have jer (laughs) okay great yeah thank you i just have two questions from the audience um Someone asked sure. if you'd experienced anything dangerous or odd down at uh, in Antarctica. Uh, well, danger was crossing the Drake Passage. It is the notoriously roughest seas of the world. And we got caught in a storm and I, I, I and almost all of my crewmates became violently ill seasickness. I lost about 25 pounds on that trip from those five days of not eating and throwing everything up yeah still to this day my belt is uh one or two notches (laughs) before what it used to be so good thing you know i lost some weight i wanted to get off but i'm a pretty thin guy anyway so so it was fraught with danger crossing have if you fell over the boat you're dead you'd die of hypothermia before the sailboat could tacked around and pick you up so anytime we went up for watch and it was rough seas we had to uh strap into a vest with a cord attached and and in fact one time we got hit by a big wave 
did damage to our boat and knocked the three guys over and one of them would have gone overboard had he not been wearing one of these vests wow. so that was the uh that that was the danger part uh what was the second part anything weird um no not really uh was seeking it out was looking for anything like that but uh the portion of antarctica that i was going to to was um pretty much where all the tourist boats go we saw other cruise ships as well as sailboats uh we did go into deception island which is a giant caldera mm -hmm. that is a uh, protected bay you can sail in on one narrow little strait called neptune bellows that was pretty weird because it was still an active volcano and we got offshore on the dinghy and walked around an old uh, whaling base and on the uh far side of the bay there was steaming sand uh from the active volcano and had the tide been not coming in uh there would be enough warm water to strip off our clothes and and take a hot spring dip but uh the water was getting kind of cold so we just kind of waded through in barefoot uh did the polar plunge three times jumped into the uh iceberg laden water Two of those times with it was at the uh, Vernansky Ukrainian base and they had a sauna so we could just run back up to the sauna. But one time it was actually pretty nice weather for two days. It was warm enough in the middle of the day to be comfortable in a t-shirt and shorts. And we're sitting up on the deck of the boat and did a polar plunge and got right out and just drip dried without a towel. And it wasn't that super cold. Cool. Very cool. All right. <clears throat> Do you know anything about Tesla's work and, and why that's been all hidden away? Oh, yeah. Someone well, asked if you know about that. He was a genius. <laughs> so ahead of his time that we're still playing catch up. Yeah. To try to uh, learn about what he was willing to give to the world. Well, he was very benevolent. He died penniless. He should have been a billionaire, should have been richer than uh, Thomas Edison. But he believed in giving his work away, that he was just this conduit that was collecting this high technology and he created the world system, which would have been free energy for all. We would have been transmitting energy wireless, so planes would never have to refuel. Cars would just keep driving and driving uh, without any emissions. Can you imagine? Much in the same way as a uh, smartphone would blow away people of the 19th century, his technology today would blow us away, would, would revolutionize the planet. Well, when JP Morgan went out to Wardenclyffe in Long Island to check on the progress of his, um, the tower that he was building, which was actually the way to transmit the energy uh, unlike a Tesla coil, which you see the lightning sparks out of, um, he was actually tapping energy from the earth itself. So there was a uh, passage that went down deep into the earth, and there's a pulse, a vibration that the earth emits. And Tesla was able to tap into that. That was the free energy source in Wardenclyffe. And so 
JP Morgan, the famous capitalist goes out there and to inspect the site rather than asking about how he did it and what what was going to happen he said well where's the meter how are we gonna how are we gonna make people pay for this and tesla's like, well there is no meter it's just free energy that's the nature of free and uh they squashed him like a bug they pulled uh the funding and uh left him in a lurch and warren cliff was never completed and it was standing there uh decrepit until world war one and german spies were were checking it out and then they decided hey we better clear this thing out they just tore it down never went into operation so we're just still playing catch up to all the incredible inventions that tesla had developed there's a warden cliff <laughs> replica somewhere in including texas. a wireless car too yeah there, there's a warden yeah there are there are some uh, new attempts to recreate Nice. There's um, a guy named Eric Dollard. Are you familiar with him? Who who has replicated a lot that of Tesla's name work. rings a bell. Yeah. So he he claims oh, cool. that uh, Warden Cliff Tower. The way that it works is it it does draw energy from the Earth, but it also transmits energy back out through the Earth. So any any receiving station would pull that energy out of the Earth. He says that with today's energy usage around the planet it would actually split the planet in half if we use that technology that's he thinks why it, it hasn't become popular yeah. which i thought was interesting okay that's all the and questions i have Sorry. The planet nah it wouldn't be good <laughs> wouldn't be good well great that's been it's been a great yeah. great chatting with you do you have anything you want to plug uh other than your books or or your books or whatever Oh, sure. Well, just to let people know that, yeah, Beyond Esoteric is out. Um, you can go to Amazon and order it, but I recommend people go to their local bookstore, support small businesses. They can order it and get it in just a couple of days. I've got a great distributor, independent publishers group, and they'll get individual bookstore orders just out as fast as uh, Amazon could. Um, you can go to my website, uh, cccpublishing.com where you can take a look at Beyond Esoteric and I have the Google Books app so you can browse through it. Very cool. Read some page, see if you like it. Um, I am currently out of stock. Uh, We're going into a second printing in in only uh, 30 days. Oh, that's fantastic. But uh, I am delayed. Yeah, I'm delayed in getting uh, copies out through CCC Publishing of Beyond Esoteric. We have all the other titles available. Um, but if you want to find out more about me, bradolson.com, B-R-A-D-O-L-S-E-N. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you can go to my YouTube channel, which is CCC Publishing and the Esoteric Series. And I have all the uh, audiobook chapters as videos when I was creating my uh audiobook for modern esoteric and future esoteric i turned them into youtube videos so uh, i give away my content for free and people are broke and want to check it out that way they can but uh cost money to print and ship books so hope people understand that we've got to put a price tag on that thank you brad this has been a great pleasure to have you on
Thank you so much. And I, all those links you mentioned well, are in there. Thank you guys for Sorry. Go ahead. There's a lag. Yeah, you can tell there's a lag. Yeah, I know. All I, our... <laughs> I was going to say all the links you mentioned are in the show notes and in the video description. So for anyone listening, you can get them there. So, yeah, it's been great you having also, you. Uh, follow me on Twitter. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. And wow, two hours. That went by quick. It did. It did. <laughs> you know, it's a good interview when the time goes by that fast. Absolutely. Well, thanks again. And thanks, everyone, for listening. Thank you, Nish. And Thank you, Jerry. we will see you next week. I'm not sure who's going to be on, but it'll be somebody cool. So anyway, have a great night, everybody. We'll talk to you next week.